everyone. I'm Charlotte. And I'm Dina. Welcome to The Grim Curriculum. So this is our final episode of 2022. We are releasing this on December 31st, New Year's Eve. Yes, and with that, and with it being our 40th episode, we decided to do another serial killer series. Yeah, because we haven't done one of these since our Eileen Wernos three-part series, and it's kind of interesting to note that today's case also takes us to Florida. Uh, Thanks to their laws, cases from this area tend to come with a ton of information that may not have been public in other states. Actually, a huge amount of killers that are now well-known have come out of the Sunshine State. Absolutely. Ted Bundy, of course, probably being the most notorious. Today's killer has actually been compared to Bundy due to the similarity of their revolting actions. With that being said, today's episode comes with a gigantic warning. These crimes are truly heinous, and the entire case is honestly just horrifying. As always, we will warn you before the really rough stuff comes up. And like we always do, we plan on discussing this case with the utmost respect towards the victims of this trash bag of a human being. And I don't like using the word hate lightly, but this is someone who I absolutely hate. Like, look at his stupid, pouty-ass looking face. Like, he always has this lost puppy dog look in his eyes, almost as if he's trying to look sincere or something. It's those, like, downward-facing eyebrows of his Mm. that just make him look so sad and mopey all the time. Like, I'm not one to, I don't know, attack the looks of someone because his personality is all the evil you will ever need. But his face certainly does not lend to his entire persona, shall we say. He reminds me of the love child of Eeyore and Ted Cruz. (laughs) That is what he looks like to me. Okay, it's funny that you should mention Ted Cruz because when I was uh, watching the documentary and taking notes, I thought he looked a little bit like Ted Cruz. (gasps) No, are you serious? Yeah, dead serious. Okay, I'm so glad I'm not the only one because I think that's like part, like even before I started researching, because every time I looked at his face, I just saw Ted Cruz. (laughs) And... Honestly, which is really funny because it's not the first time Ted Cruz has kind of been, like, linked to a serial killer. Exactly. I don't know, man. Bad vibes. It's a little sus. So with all that being said, Ted Cruz bashing aside, (laughs) uh, let's get this uh, unfortunate party started. Today we are going to be talking about Danny Rowling, also known as the Gainesville Ripper. This absolutely horrific human being was responsible for the deaths of eight people over the course of a year. If that isn't bad enough, what he did afterwards is truly something out of a horror movie. And we really mean that because these crimes inspired the Scream franchise. And we all know Ghostface. Personally, I was terrified of him when those movies came out. I was pretty young, but I still watch them. If you think Ghostface is bad, wait until you hear about the vile acts of this terrible man. Once again, we want to warn you, what we're going to talk about may be difficult to hear. And that should mean a lot coming from us. Daniel Harold Rowling was born on May 26, 1954 in Shreveport, Louisiana. And Charlotte, I know we've talked about this off mic quite a few times, but doesn't Louisiana just seem like it would be such an amazing place to visit? Oh man, it's it's on my list of, but my bucket list of places to visit for sure. I'd love, I mean, of course, to see New Orleans, yes. and of course, the bayous and the swamps. I want to see a gator and of course the food, but I think all the spice would literally kill me, but I'd be, <laughs> I'd be willing to die that death. You know, it'd be a good way to die. That's for sure. So to say that the childhood of Danny Rowling was difficult would be an understatement. His mother, Claudia, was only 19 years old when she married James Rowling. He was a well-respected veteran of the Korean War who had found work as a police officer. 
It's very likely that James Rowling struggled with a large number of mental health issues, including PTSD from the war. Unfortunately, this turned him into a very angry and cold man. The fact that Claudia got pregnant only after about two weeks of them being married certainly didn't help things. James had not wanted a child. Things would go wrong from the very beginning. In fact, the delivery itself was complicated and resulted in Danny's head having to be pulled out of his mother with the use of forceps. I, oh. I don't I don't like it. We just want to take a second to explain that we're not going to tell you a bunch of sad information about his early life to make you feel sorry for him at all. Danny Rowling was an absolute shit heap of a human being in more ways than we can count, and we do not feel sorry for him. But it does help to understand where he came from before we talk about the kind of adult that he would turn into. We've said it before, and we'll say it again. A lot of people have gone through terrible, terrible things without turning into serial killers, rapists, necrophiliacs, or just ending up like our guy Danny. I took some time this week to learn about forced birth trauma for this episode because I wanted to know how something like this could affect him later in life. And this is honestly one of the many, many things that makes childbirth absolutely horrifying to me. Like, no disrespect, of course, to anyone who's given birth. You're my goddamn heroes for doing it. But there's so much about the entire process that scares the shit out of me. Like, so much can go wrong. Trauma that occurs with the use of forceps on the baby's head can absolutely lead to complications later in life. And this includes things like skull fractures, paralysis, traumatic brain injury, and a bunch of other things. So whether or not this contributed to his actions later, it certainly didn't make for a good start in life, and it didn't help that his dad was a terrible human being himself. He beat Claudia while she was pregnant with Danny on multiple occasions. She actually attempted to leave him during this time, and she temporarily moved back home. Unfortunately, James convinced her to take him back, and she did. Well, he basically convinced her by following her there and not really giving her the option of refusing. Honestly, like a lot of people don't realize how dangerous it is for a woman to be pregnant and around an abusive partner like this. It's true. We mentioned this during our loss and family murders episode, but the most common leading cause of death for a pregnant woman is homicide by their partner. They're twice as likely to die by murder than they are by pregnancy related complications. If that's not a fact that will absolutely ruin your day, I don't know what is. Because it's like, as a pregnant woman, you're supposed to be cherished by society, and especially your family and your husband. And to know that pregnant women die by homicide more often than they die from uh, pregnancy complications, like, what the fuck, humanity? Yeah, that's like, that's haunting. That, to me, like, that's one of those things that you learn, and it just, like, you think about it. Absolutely. She must have been terrified. Like this poor woman, she's pregnant. He's abusing her. And if that wouldn't be horrible enough in today's day and age, this happened during the 50s where it was even more difficult for a woman to leave an abusive marriage and be able to sustain herself and her family. Sadly, she would attempt to leave him numerous times throughout their marriage, but he would always get her to come back one way or another. Rather than suck it up and parent his kid, James decided to go another route. He despised Danny from birth, and even when he was just a toddler, nothing he could do was right. The physical abuse started at a very young age. One of the first accounts that we can find of this abuse took place when Danny was learning how to crawl. He couldn't quite grasp it, and he wound up crawling a little silly, and his father responded to this by beating him. Claudia and James would have another child almost exactly a year later, a boy they named Kevin. 
We'll talk more about Kevin in part two when we go over the trial, but this is interesting because Danny would claim that James Rowling abused his entire family. Kevin would testify in court that this never happened. We saw this with Eileen Wernos too. Her brother denied the horrific claims that she made against their father. As Danny got older, James continued to despise him. He'd beat him for something as small as breathing in a way that annoyed him. Danny couldn't recall a point where his father ever showed him any love. When Danny was around five, James began tying him up as a punishment. If that wasn't terrible enough, it was around this time that James Rowling brought home a puppy for Danny. This next part is rough, so if you need to skip ahead a couple seconds, you definitely should. This poor puppy fell victim to the anger of James Rowling and was beat so badly that it died in Danny's arms as he cried over his new pet. (sighs) Oh my god! James, I'll say it right now. I feel like James Rowling is in part for sure to blame for everything that happens from this point forward. Like, if you want to create a little serial killer, you do it by doing shit like this. Like, I'm not saying like you can go through stuff like this, obviously, and come out, you know, okay in the end. A functioning human being. Yeah, but like, I mean, you could have given the kid a chance, James. No kidding. Whether this was a punishment or just another example of James Rowling taking his anger out on someone much smaller than him, it probably didn't have the effect on Danny that he hoped for. Although, it is kind of hard to imagine what exactly the end goal or lesson there was here. What we do know is that this led to Danny abusing animals himself. He really starts to check a lot of things on the future serial killer checklist from an early age. And between this, the constant abuse, the birth trauma, and everything else, it isn't a surprise that even from a young age, this guy barely stood a chance. Honestly, we could honestly do an entire episode on how bad James Rowling was. This guy was an absolute piece of shit. There's no doubt about it. He's also one of those guys who refused to hug his sons because he thought it would turn them into sissies. That's right. He was too manly to show his kids any kind of affection. Way to go, bud. So manly. Oh my god. In a lot of ways, his dad actually reminds me of the father of John Wayne Gacy. So Mm -hmm. if, if those of you who don't know, his father gave him a tough cowboy name to make sure that his son grew up into a tough guy. And then he resented him for not living up to that ridiculous expectation of masculinity that he had for his kid. Again, the things he went through do not under any means justify what he did, but the more you hear about his childhood, the less surprising it is that he turned into one of the most disgusting human beings that we've talked about. What's interesting to note is that his brother Kevin denied all these claims. Claudia, his mother, told a story that matched up to what Danny had recounted. Again, we'll talk about this a little bit more when we go over the trial, but she backed up Danny's claims of abuse and spoke of her own nightmarish life with James Rowling. You really start to wonder if Kevin was just treated really differently so that he can't remember his other family members being abused or that maybe his brain had just blocked out the trauma. I honestly, like, we'll get into this later, but he said in court, like, you know, I wasn't abused, blah, blah, blah. But he did admit he blocked out a big chunk of his childhood, which usually isn't a good sign. There are some accounts that say James didn't even let his kids celebrate the holidays, including their own birthdays. So he's just kind of terrible in every way possible. Like we mentioned, he was a cop and he definitely used that to exert his power over Danny. In one instance, he called his cop friends over to arrest Danny because he did something that embarrassed him. 
he actually went through with letting his son get arrested for something very minor. It was basically just another one of his many annoyances. All of that wasn't before he pinned his young son down with all his strength and placed him in handcuffs himself. Christmas of 1963 was a particularly difficult one for the family. Claudia had once again had enough of her husband's abuse, and apparently she packed up the boys along with the Christmas tree and left. Once again, this didn't last very long. The strain that this must have had on her mental health is huge. It probably doesn't come as a shock that she had a severe mental breakdown around that time. It didn't help that Danny had also just failed the third grade. He wasn't very liked at school when he actually made it to class. His counselors described him as suffering from an inferiority complex with aggressive tendencies and poor impulse control. That to me is interesting because like they noticed this so early on in him, especially considering these are the kind of things that would ultimately lead to him committing his crimes. When Danny was 11 years old, he walked in on his parents having an argument. This was not uncommon, but during this particular fight, his mother slit her wrist in front of James and Danny. She then ran into the bathroom and locked the door. James knocked the door down. Instead of getting his wife medical attention, he continued to berate her as she bled. Danny interfered and he was beaten too. His mother was later taken to the hospital where she would recover. I mean, like, recover as much as she could from something like this. A lot of other terrible stuff happened around this time due to the instability and anger of James Rowling. But if we went over everything that's been reported, we would probably just spend this entire episode talking about everything he went through before he even hit puberty. And we like to be thorough. And I still think we did a really good job of that. But take it from us after reading everything we have about this guy over the last few weeks. It's just a lot of really, really bad stuff back to back. Like we said, at this point, we're only at the age of 11 for Danny. This was incidentally around the time that he developed a lifelong love of music. Danny's family attended church and he would often sing the hymns at the top of his lungs. This was also around the time that he began playing the guitar. It sounds like music could have been a positive influence for Danny, but... He also began drinking and doing drugs around this time. It's pretty obvious that he was dealing with a huge amount of trauma and pain and was looking for ways to handle everything that went along with it. When he was 12 years old, Danny was drinking with a friend of his when his father showed up and dragged him home. He was beaten, and he was actually thrown in jail for two weeks. He's 12 years old. What a sentence. His dad just threw him in jail for drinking. It's like, sir, perhaps we should be questioning why your child is drinking at 12. Yes, exactly. Like, (sighs) So when he got out, Danny was furious at both of his parents for their response to his childhood alcoholism. So he packed his things, and he ran away, and I don't blame him. Right? Like, Jesus Christ. So, Danny finds himself in a nearby woods where he stayed for a few hours. His anger at his parents led him to thinking about committing violence towards others, as well as finding ways to control them. This likely hadn't been the first time he had thoughts like this, but the more he thought about it, the more aroused he became, and he ended up masturbating in the woods until he got hungry and returned home. And so. 
it, that's a thing. <laughs> we're okay. We're perfectly aware of how gross that is to hear. Like, trust us. And honestly, a lot about Danny Rowling is just plain gross. We're gonna see this throughout his entire life. His crimes are obviously beyond that, but all in all, he's just an ick kind of human being. At the age of fourteen, Danny found a new hobby. This one was much more sinister. He started peeping, which is to say he began looking into the windows of houses and oftentimes pleasuring himself at what he saw. This was when he saw a girl around his age exiting the shower as he looked through her bathroom window. He wasn't particularly good at this and he was seen by multiple neighbors and eventually his father arrived to the scene and surprise, surprise, he beat him viciously and he took him home. It didn't take long until the peeping became a compulsion for Danny, and he would go out on a regular basis to look through people's windows. Sometimes he would act on his arousal, and other times he would just sit and watch. It's really gross and creepy to think about the fact that he was watching women and girls changing through their windows, but another thing that he would do was watch whole families while they ate dinner and just carried out their day-to-day lives. Later, he would say he did this because it made him feel like he belonged. This is something that other well-known serial killers have done as well, Ted Bundy and BTK to name two of them. It's interesting to note this comparison along with the brutality of all three of their crimes. And it makes me wonder if that's related in any way, because I think it must be. At the end of the day, all three of them committed absolutely disgusting crimes to satisfy their own sexual urges. And the fact that there is this selfishness there from a young age, it just doesn't surprise me. It's essentially doing whatever you want as long as it pleases you with zero concern for anyone else. I mean, growing up with the kind of abuse that Danny went through literally changes your brain, I guess in kind of a way where it's like, well, no one else seems to care about me. Why would I give a shit about anybody else, right? Like, Yeah. Danny recalls one of his few happy memories from his youth being when he received his own guitar as a Christmas present. Music would continue to be a huge part of his life until the very end, and it served as a way for him to temporarily escape his quickly darkening life. His teenage years were full of alcohol and drug abuse, as well as numerous arrests for petty crimes. The frequency of the peeping got worse as he got older, and it was clear that he could no longer control himself, either that or he just didn't want to. He attempted to hold down many different jobs around this time, most of them at various fast food restaurants. Fun fact, he worked at Dairy Queen for a bit there. And Taco Bell, too, actually, later. Oh, my God. He would always get fired for either not showing up or just being a shitty worker. At 17, Danny attempted to join the Navy, but they wouldn't accept him. He instead signed up for the Air Force. He began to use acid, as in LSD acid, around this time, which didn't help his already fragile mental health. The following year, he was kicked out of the Air Force after he was caught once again with drugs. He was seen by a military psychiatrist who said it was clear that Danny had some sort of personality disorder. He hung around in Georgia for a bit around this time and committed various robberies to survive and also to buy himself drugs and alcohol. It's reported that around this time, he got so incredibly high on LSD and lost his virginity. He would later say that he regretted this. And I'm sure she did too, buddy. Honestly. Danny returned to Shreveport to live with his grandfather. Things appeared to turn around for him, at least for a little bit around this time, and he became heavily involved with the Pentecostal church. It was there that he met his first wife, a 19-year-old church-going young woman named Omather Halko. They married on September 6, 1974, after only knowing each other for six months. 
Apparently, quite a few of her friends and family didn't really understand why she was with him. Her life seemed to be on a pretty decent track while he was a high school dropout who couldn't keep a job. Don't forget the fact that he was a super gross pervert who liked to peep into people's windows. Mind you, she didn't know all that. Interestingly enough, when she testified against Danny years later, she would go into detail about how she never saw him and James fighting and that she had a hard time believing that he was a bad guy. She would mention during her testimony that James had actually helped the couple out on numerous occasions by buying them furniture, clothing, and even helping with the bills. So it's O'Mather and Kevin Rowling who say that James wasn't abusive, and Claudia and Danny who say that he was. We're going to get into more of my theories there in part two when we talk about the trial, but after hearing the testimony from Kevin and O'Mather, I think I have a few ideas as to what was really happening. All I'll say now is that there were a lot of flaws in their version of events, as well as Claudia's and Danny's. Danny and O'Mather became parents about a year later. The name of their daughter is available online if you really want to know it, but we're not going to mention it in this episode for the sake of her privacy. It's not really relevant to the story anyway. All you really need to know is that they had a girl and that he was, surprise, surprise, a terrible dad. Yay for generational trauma. Yay. Like his own father, he was a bad parent even before the baby was born. He was working at this time, but the stress of the baby coming led him back to heavy drinking and cannabis use. He also reignited his love for one of his favorite things ever, being a gross peeping Tom. It was also around this time that some sources say that Danny reported seeing weird things like UFOs and became somewhat paranoid. And, and yeah, you heard that right. While his wife was pregnant with his child, he would just leave and not come home for hours. O'Mather had no clue where he was until one evening two police officers arrived at their door to tell her that they wanted to talk to her husband. Can you imagine at this Ugh. point, you like, we know he's not great, but you probably think, oh, you know, like from O'Mather's point, he's not that bad. Plus we have a baby together. And then all of a sudden police officers are knocking at your door and you find out he's doing something like this. And then it all goes downhill from there. Ugh. And Danny also went down the same path as his father in the husband department and began beating his wife. He was volatile and jealous, which is a pretty dangerous combination. And he would often accuse her of cheating on him. On at least one occasion, he actually assaulted an ex-boyfriend of hers. He threatened to kill O'Mather and then himself if she ever left him on a regular basis. She had had enough one day when he held a shotgun to her head and threatened to kill her. This was in 1977. It really didn't take long for this marriage to go south, so thank goodness she left him when she did. And I'm sure he was super sweet to her in the beginning. I mean, this guy had no job and no money, so he must have lured her in somehow. That being said, I think it's statistically something like an average of three months before a narcissist shows themselves in a relationship. And I definitely think Danny Rowling was a narcissist. I think if she hadn't left, she would have been his first victim. He sexually assaulted a woman around this time who looked a lot like his wife, and one of the women that he murdered resembled her too. So that's not a coincidence. I hate to compare him to Bundy, but this is something that he did too. He targeted women who looked like the woman who broke his heart for the first time. Interestingly enough, James Rowling heard about what happened, and it was Danny's parents who helped O'Mather get away from him. James gave her money to help with the baby, and they also seemed to have stayed in regular contact with their granddaughter. Danny continued to harass her around this time, and when she began seeing someone else, he attacked the man, accusing the two of having an affair while O'Mather was still married to him. They were adamant that they had started dating after the two had broken up. 
After the divorce, Danny began seeing a 17-year-old that he met at church. We don't know a ton about her, but it doesn't seem like this relationship lasted long. And thank God for that. Yeah. That poor girl probably didn't know what a bullet she dodged. He spent 1978 to 1979 committing various robberies, and he was sentenced to six years in the Georgia penal system. Apparently, life in prison was difficult for Danny at first. His mother reported that the first time she visited him, he looked skinny and stressed. He took up bodybuilding shortly around this time, and he actually got pretty big because of it. Which is exactly what the world needed, a stronger Danny Rowling. He made various attempts to escape prison, one of them being during a work outing. Danny was chopping wood when he saw an opportunity and he took it. Unfortunately for him, he only made it about 100 feet before a guard fired a warning shot. He then surrendered immediately. And if you've made it this far into the episode and you're thinking, wow, this guy is a loser, you're absolutely right. I hate seeing serial killers glorified. At the end of the day, there's nothing glorious about a man like this. Full offense, but he was a loser who did terrible things and the world would have been a better place if he had never been born. It's harsh, but I mean every word. Agreed. His time in jail wasn't all that eventful. Basically, he was transferred around, had many failed escape attempts, and it's reported that at one point he either killed or tried to kill a cat that was on the prison property. Because of course he did. And I feel like the other inmates would not have been happy with him for doing that. Because I feel like, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I you'd probably know a little bit more about this than me, but I feel like if prisoners have a pet or something the pet is very much cared for for the most part so if danny comes along and tries to kill it other inmates are going to be a little upset about that you know crimes against children obviously in jail if you've committed a crime against children everyone knows you know that's hated by inmates but like yeah think about how many people love animals like you see the toughest inmates and you see those like videos of them with cats or dogs or whatever and it's you don't fuck with people's animals. Like, they probably hated him. I hope they did. I'm sure they did. They probably took one look at his dopey little face and was like, <laughs> buddy, you are not going to do well in here. He was released from prison in 1984 at the age of 30. He moved back to Shreveport once again to live with his parents. That didn't last very long. Danny and his father fought often. One of these fights was so bad that Danny moved out and went to live with his aunt. However, he returned to his parents shortly after. I'm not saying that what his dad did was justified by any means, but I can kind of see why he despised him so much, because this sounds stressful as hell. I wonder if James Rowling could see the monster he had created and hated him because of it. Although the cynical part of me thinks that James Rowling was probably the kind of guy who would not take responsibility for something like that. Probably just hated that he had a bad son and didn't stop once to think why that might have been. I, again, I have theories with all of this, but I really stand by the fact that, like, what he did isn't justified. But, like, as Danny gets older and older, I don't blame James for being like, holy fuck, I can't believe this is my kid. You created him. Yes. You created also, him. You did this. But holy yeah. shit. In November of that year, Danny broke into the home of a young girl with the intent of sexually assaulting her. When she began to cry, he decided otherwise, and the two ended up just hanging out while she listened to him and they sang songs. There's some resources that say that she had sex with him after all of this, and they call it consensual. Listen, <laughs> nothing about this was consensual if they did have sex. And I saw so many sources that called it that. He showed up, and she probably felt like she had to do whatever he said so that he wouldn't hurt her further. She was trying no not to kidding. get fucking killed. 
Exactly. And he knew that. He fled town right after this because he was scared that she would call the police and report what happened. She never did. But to me, the fact that he's fleeing town says that this was not a consensual thing. Yeah, you got a guilty conscience, bro. Like, why are you leaving? Exactly. In 1985, Danny got into a motorcycle accident where he sustained a serious head injury that led to nerve damage on his neck. When he recovered, he left town again and spent the majority of his time hitchhiking from place to place. He eventually found himself in Georgia again when he committed yet another armed robbery, this time at a Kroger. He stole the keys to his family's only car and was arrested and charged for the armed robbery soon after. This time, he was sentenced to serve four years. He didn't seem to learn much last time, and he continued to try and escape. On one occasion, he just simply wandered off into a swamp, and he was picked up and brought back to jail, hungry and tired. When he was paroled, it was under the condition that he returned back to Shreveport, which he did. Unfortunately, he had trouble finding a job yet again. In 1989, he exploded on one of his bosses after he was fired for missing three days of work. He threatened to kill his boss as well as a co-worker of his. I don't wonder he wasn't holding down a job. And like, I have to go back to the swamp thing. I wish an alligator had just eaten him. Honestly, this would have all been over so much faster. And is it not illegal to try and escape from prison? So would more time not get tacked on the more you try to escape? You know, I I really, I'm sure it was. He may have. Um, But it kind of seemed like this happened a lot. Well, and I know, um, I think, I can't remember. It's in one of the Scandinavian countries, I believe, that they, um, it's not illegal to try and escape prison because they figure, like, as a human being that's imprisoned, you're going to want to try to escape. Like, that's just human nature. But I feel like Florida probably has very different rules. (laughs) I feel so, like this just, I mean, this was, uh, this part here, this was in Georgia still, oh. but I, it's fucking Georgia. Like, I mean, I've very- It's still the it's, South. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, they got their guns, they got their, like, gators and stuff, and, like, if yeah. you try, I'm, I'm shocked that they didn't just shoot to kill. They oh, were, right. they honestly, like, they were way too lean. I don't say this lightly, and this is how you can tell I really don't like him, because I'm on, like, the guard side, but I am, <laughs> sh- <laughs> I think they were way too lenient on him. No kidding. They Someone should have done the world a favor. Yeah, exactly. All right. So we know that Danny Rowling is known most for being the Gainesville Ripper, but it is surprising how many sources don't talk about the triple murder that happened in Shreveport a year prior. Danny wasn't actually considered a suspect for these until way later. These were considered unsolved for a very long time. And in fact, Danny wouldn't confess to these murders until very shortly before his death. At this time, all they knew was that someone had broken into the home of the Grissom family and killed 55-year-old William Tom Grissom, his 24-year-old daughter Julie, and her 8-year-old son Sean. The murders occurred on November 6th, only two days after Danny had lost his job. Like we mentioned, Danny would sometimes watch entire families. He'd peek into their windows while they ate dinner or carried on with their day-to-day lives, and this was something that he had done many times before. The Grissom family was who he had been watching around this time, and they were who he wanted to take his anger out on after he was fired. Danny snuck in through an unlocked door. Now, this isn't the first time he's done this either. He used this method of entry when he broke into the house of the young girl when he changed his mind before violently assaulting and possibly killing her. This time, however, things would escalate. 
And we're going to chime in with a very quick warning. The murders that Danny Rowling committed can be very difficult to hear about. And if you're the kind of person who enjoys the podcast but doesn't like hearing that kind of stuff, we, we don't blame you. It might not be the worst idea to skip ahead a little bit. Otherwise, here we go. Okay. So at 10 p.m. that night, Danny arrived at the Grissom home where he saw Tom barbecuing outside. He had watched him for a little bit until he went back inside. That was when he saw his chance. Tom had left the screen door unlocked. Lock your doors. I'm serious. I'm I'm the kind of person who gives people shit when I don't see them lock their doors. But I always think of Richard Chase, who we will cover someday. He would check the doors of houses to see if they were locked or not. And if they were unlocked, he would take it as a sign that he was supposed to go in and kill whoever was inside. So lock your fucking doors. Absolutely. Danny jumped over their fence and ran towards the door to their living room. What they saw must have horrified them. He was dressed in camo pants, a black shirt, and combat boots. He was also armed with an 8-inch K-bar knife, and he ran into their house and things escalated immediately. He pulled a gun out and told the family to lay on the floor. He handcuffed Tom and duct taped his mouth to keep him quiet. He then used duct tape to tape the mouths of Julia and Sean and tied their hands together. He led Tom into another room and stabbed him from behind. He then turned him around and stabbed him in the chest, killing him. He then killed eight-year-old Sean in a similar manner. The majority of his victims were women, but you'll see very quickly that he is fine with killing men in order to get to the woman. It's almost as if they were killed for being in the way. He sexually assaulted Julie and he led her to her father's bedroom. There, he stabbed her three times, killing her. And this part is also pretty rough if the rest hasn't been already, but... He then proceeded to wash out her vagina with vinegar in order to remove his DNA from her. He left her body on the edge of the bed with her legs spread apart as a shocking display to whoever was unlucky enough to find her. It's real rough. He spent some time cleaning up the scene and he understood that the duct tape he used could have his DNA on it as well. So he removed it from the victims and disposed of it. He then used their washer to clean his bloody clothes. He got dressed and he left. It's always interesting to me when you see someone like Danny, who, let's be real here, wasn't exactly the smartest guy. And then you hear something like this and you see that when it comes to killing, he was actually pretty well educated, so to speak, in regards to what he needed to do. It definitely shows us that this was all planned, especially considering he had already been watching the family before he even lost his job. And it sounds terrible to say, but he got away with it until he confessed to the murders himself. He wasn't considered a suspect after this. He hit his tracks well enough, I guess. After the murders, people close to him reported him being depressed, isolating himself, and acting paranoid. So this isn't a case of him thinking he didn't do anything wrong. He knew exactly what he had done, and he was waiting for them to catch him. But, unfortunately, they wouldn't for a very long time. Funny story, because I feel like at this point we need to lighten the mood a little bit, but around this time, Danny was still focusing very much on his music. We haven't talked about it too, too much, but he continued playing the guitar and singing throughout his adult life. Yep, he wanted to be a famous musician. Unfortunately for him, he sucked, and no bars would hire him to play, and it's not like these bars were packed. Even on their quiet nights, they would choose the jukebox over a live performance from Danny. Good. The tapes are out there for you guys to find if you want to hear what Danny's voice singing oh. sounds like. Um, we'll we'll talk about the tapes a little bit later for sure. But uh, yeah, Danny did record himself several times. So he sure did. Lucky us. 
Danny seemed to crack around this time, and it's difficult to say if it was because he felt guilty for what he had done or because he was scared he was going to get caught. I think based on what we know about him, we can probably guess which it was. Exactly. He eventually got another job, but lost it once again, this time for acting like a total weirdo. He showed up at his job in a similar outfit he had worn on the night of the Grissom murders, as it to say, like, camo pants and everything. And he even brought the murder weapon to work. Like, sir, are you out of your damn mind? Seriously, like, he's unhinged. He just does not care. No. On April 27th, 1990, Danny was in another accident. This time he was driving a car during a storm without his seatbelt on when his car was essentially thrown at a telephone pole by tornado-level winds. And I don't know how this guy keeps surviving shit. I, it's one of those wild things. Because he wasn't wearing his seatbelt, he was thrown through the windshield and sustained yet another head injury. Just what he needed. After he healed from the accident, he began peeping once again. It was around that time that he also committed a series of sexual assaults, each one more violent than the last. He was escalating again. He lost another job and gained another head injury. Not a good combination for him. No, especially considering what happened last time. On May 18th, 1990, Danny would once again try to take the life of another person. This time, it was his own father. They had gotten into a fight because James was mad at Danny for coming home on a rainy night and refusing to roll up the windows of the car. What a little brat. Like, he basically gave him the whole, oh, I don't think I have to argument, and James was livid. His attitude towards the whole thing is even more pathetic if you consider the fact that he is 36 years old while all of this is happening. Yeah, he's not like a petulant child anymore. This is a grown-ass man. He was also trailing dirt in from outside into the home while he was arguing with his father, just enraging him further. 36-year-old man, friends. This is a 36-year-old man. The fight escalated, and both James and Danny pulled out guns. They fired warning shots at one another. Danny alleges that James threatened to finally do what he meant to do all those years ago and kill his entire family. James attempted to leave the fight by locking himself in another room. Danny kicked the door down and shot his father in the stomach and the head. He then began to kick the body of his father as he loudly begged God to forgive him. All while his mother watched, he then ran away. Miraculously, James Rowling survived the attack. I feel bad for everyone that had Danny in their lives, but I honestly feel so bad for his mother and his ex-wife. The amount of trauma that those two have as a result of the Rowling men is probably impossible to measure. O'Mather's story actually has somewhat of a happy ending, so there's a little bit of spoiler alert to make you feel at least a little bit better about all of this. Yeah, because things are about to get even worse. Ugh. All right, so he broke into the house of an elderly couple that he befriended. These people were way too good for him. He essentially showed up in his little killer man outfit, knife in hand, and told them to give him all of their money because he had done something really bad. We say they were too good for him because their response to all of this was to talk him down for hours. I, I think people who didn't know what he was actually capable of... 
they didn't believe that he could be capable of it. And they felt sorry for him because they're not the first ones to do this with him and survive because he changed his mind about the attack. No, and one of the um, things that one of the investigators said in the little 45-minute documentary I watched um, was that he was very much this chameleon who was able to look kind of meek and mild and make you feel sorry for him one minute, but then the second he needed to, he would flip that switch and then become this like dominant aggressive character and it just goes to prove that like you say the people that thought they knew him did not yeah i think the only people that really saw the real danny were his victims and probably his parents well at least his dad maybe i would say they were definitely victims of him too fair enough absolutely (laughs) (laughs) the couple gave him a small amount of money and some snacks danny then cried and apologized for what he had done to them He then left Shreveport for Kansas City, where he committed even more robberies. He then hitchhiked around for a little bit, robbing various businesses. During one of those robberies, he stole the idea of a man named Michael Kennedy Jr. He then moved to Sarasota, where he began to live life under this new name. He told people he was a well-respected veteran who was about to become a famous musician. It seemed like the majority of his interactions with people during this time were mostly spent lying about himself. I could be wrong. I'm definitely no expert, but I see these lies as him pretending to be the person that he wished he was. He wasn't a veteran that people respected. He barely lasted in the Air Force before they kicked him out. He was also far from becoming a famous musician because, again, he sucked. I I can definitely see this. And it pisses me off because it wasn't like he was trying to run away from his life and start fresh with a clean slate and like leave all the nastiness behind, which first of all, even if that were his intention, he doesn't get to do that because he's a piece of shit. But to me, I think he's just hiding in plain sight while still being an evil, putrid little shit. (laughs) I completely agree with you. He went on various little shopping sprees with the money he had stolen, and he treated himself to some new clothes and glasses so he could look less like Danny and more like Michael. It was around this time that he began to plan his next murder. This time, he would go to Gainesville. And this was 100% premeditated. This isn't one of those cases where we know that because he would later talk about it in court. Danny actually recorded a tape to both police and to his parents talking about what he was going to do. He then proceeded to apologize and beg for forgiveness. He apologizes so often that it's ridiculous. He commits these horrible acts of robbery, sexual assault, and murder, and then he just, you know, expects people to forgive him if he repents. I see his stupid face, and I just picture him saying, like, sorry. And the fact that he's, like, pre-apologizing. Oh my god, oh my god, yeah. It's like, you know that it's wrong because you're literally apologizing for it in advance, but yet you still went on and did it. Like, ah, ah, God, this guy has me fucking, my blood boiling. Honestly, like, I don't think I've ever gotten this angry while working on a series. Like, I swear, this entire time I was just like, fuck this guy. And to make matters worse, he recorded himself singing 11 songs yeah he did a whole ass album (laughs) in in one of them he sang the following words to his father you just pushed me away at a young age pop i wanted to make you proud of me and he ended the tape with i let you down i'm sorry for that well i'm gonna sign off for a little bit i got something i gotta do i love you bye 
I hate that. Like, it's like, bye. Like, sorry. That's like, I have to go get broccoli from the grocery store. Not not like like, I'm going to go massacre people. Yeah, you're not popping out for cigarettes, Danny. You're about to murder people. But it's the whole, like, I love you, bye. Oh, yeah. like, Ugh, hate it, hate it, hate it and, so much. And the fact that he felt the need to sing 11 of his songs in the tape just shows how egotistical and unaware of others he is. Because, like, no one wants to fucking hear them, Danny. Unfortunately, for the jurors involved in his case, these tapes were played in their entirety during the murder trial. So they had to sit through that. This tape was made shortly after he had almost killed his father and just before the Gainesville murders. Danny then sold his precious guitar and purchased a gun. He made his way to Gainesville, where he almost immediately began to look for his next victims. And he would certainly find them. The murders that we're going to talk about next week are by far some of the worst that we have ever covered, which is really saying something. Yep, so this week was more about building up the story of Danny and kind of giving you that backstory about who he was, and we took a bit of a dive into his, I guess, earlier crimes. Next week, we're going to be talking about the murders that made him famous and earned him the name the Gainesville Ripper. All right, so how how are we feeling so far? <laughs> Apart from, I, like, fuming and pissed off. My blood pressure is up. Um, I, I honestly, I had to hold back on talking shit. This is me holding back on talking yeah. shit about Danny Rowling. <laughs> he legitimately, he pisses me off. Like, yes, he did horrible things, but he was a piece of trash from such a young age. He hurt so many people. And all he cared about was his shitty music and doing whatever he wanted. He didn't give a fuck about who he hurt. Like, by next week, if you don't feel the same way about this that I do, I will be shocked. Yeah, man. Like, I feel you there. He's such a, a, just a nasty piece of work. He's like a shitty combination of Bundy and Gacy with a sprinkle of Manson on top. And I only add in Manson because of his shitty music aspirations. He's a shitty little coward. And like I said, it just gets my fucking blood boiling. And I probably, well, you'll probably hear me repeat this every single episode that we have a serial killer like this. But it's like, you can feel sorry for the child that went through the abuse. But at the end of the day, we are human beings with the ability to make choices and decisions. And Danny Rowling continued to choose to be a piece of shit. So I'm really glad that you brought that up because like it's it's completely true. And like it's it's kind of that like first part of this episode, you're hearing things about his childhood and you're seeing him as the child and and you feel bad. Like it's absolutely you, you feel bad because you never you don't want any child to go through that. And then towards the end you see kind of what he turns into and it's just like i can't feel sorry for you i'm sorry like it's you're you're just terrible uh next week we will be covering danny's horrific murder spree in gainesville florida as well as covering the investigation trial and his time on death row because he does die in the end you guys so there's that (laughs) light at the end of the tunnel (sighs) it's a two-parter because we have a fuckload to go over you're not wrong. Like, he isn't one of those guys where the story ends after the murders. He did a lot of things between then and the time that he was executed that are going to have you shaking your head and even maybe feeling like you might throw up. Oh, there, yeah. There's one particular point Charlotte messaged me about that I honestly found beyond revolting. Like, this is a man with zero redeemable qualities. Just throw him in the trash. Throw him right in the garbage. We do yep. not want him. Nope. <laughs> <sighs> I honestly, like, after this, I am going to, like, just... Um, enjoy some jazz cabbage and like pet my dog and take deep breaths and have some chocolate. 
Yeah, because uh, because we're sort of in the limbo between uh, Christmas and New Year's right now, and I'm very lucky that I have the days off from my day job. So we're we're recording a little earlier in the day than we usually do. Um, I don't know if you can tell if it's changed our attitudes or how we're speaking or anything, but yeah, we're in that limbo. It's a weird time of the year. It really is. I, I hate this time of the year because it's just like you're just waiting for it to be yeah. over. So this year has been a wild ride, you guys, like for everyone, Uh, for us, we started this podcast back in March and we're really excited (laughs) to celebrate a year of doing this soon. And we hope you guys enjoyed the series. Yeah, we we wanted to go big with this one. And I, I think we succeeded. Episode 40. So thanks for being here. We appreciate all of your love. And we really appreciate everyone who has supported our little merch store. It's etsy.com slash the grim curriculum. We have stickers and magnets and we just added our first keychain design. And giant shout out to Charlotte for creating these awesome designs. They are Aww, absolutely shucks. fantastic. <laughs> and uh, the first few folks who ordered should be getting their packages, I feel like, any any moment now. I think. Fingers crossed. Fingers yeah. crossed. Another great way to support the podcast is by checking out our Patreon. We have all sorts of fun content on there starting at three bucks a month, including our Grim VIP tier. We also want to shout out all of our VIPs. So thank you so much to Pink Flamingo 20, Brian, Hillary, Lisa, and Mayhem Mudkip. Until then, make sure you don't miss out on the Grim Curriculum news by following us on Instagram at The Grim Curriculum and Grim Curriculum on Twitter. We are also on TikTok and Facebook, so go look us up. We're also available on most podcast platforms. And you can find us on social media. We're going to link all that good stuff for you below. Thanks for listening. This has been The The Grim Grim Curriculum. Curriculum. Fun fact, Romans used mouse brains as toothpaste. So now that's something you know. Bye. Bye. Bye.